Welcome to episode 170 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Guys, I have a couple of pet peeves in terms of uh, uh, of things that theaters do. Um, two of my main pet peeves are emails and trailers. Um, I can talk about trailers for a long time because generally I don't think theater makes good trailers. For the most part. There are a couple of exceptions, but generally not good trailers. So I could go on about that. Uh, quite a bit, but I want to I want to mention uh, another pet peeve, which is which the other pet peeve, which is uh, emails. And I'm not talking about promotional emails that I get; those those are are more than welcome. I'm talking about mailing lists and the way that theaters uh, subscribe you. Now, for a while there, we were getting a lot better. Uh, the Canadian government introduced uh, the Canadian anti-spam legislation or Castle, and for a while there, we were doing a great job about not adding people to mailing lists when they didn't want to be added. But lately, I've been seeing a few a few theaters that have not been following that. Somehow, I get on their mailing list because I purchased tickets, and I did not see a consent form on there. That is actually not cool. It's way not cool. Uh, to subscribe somebody without explicitly asking them to opt in. Um, it's basically not compliant with 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 Castle. Boring for everybody else, but frustrating for me, I know. If you're running a theater and you're doing this, please stop. It's not good, and it makes people angry at you, which is not a great way to build a relationship with people. So that's my that's my little little rant for today. Um, if you want to respond to that, if you have something to say about that, you can always find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. The website is StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is Franco Nguyen, writer and performer of Good Morning Vietnam, which opens February 19th and runs until March 3rd at Aki Studio in Toronto. Well, what can you tell me about uh, about uh, Good Morning Vietnam? Just to get started. Um, well, I think it's uh, it's like a very personal. Everything is ve- it's like a very real show. Um, it's about my relationship with my mom and uh, how I go back to Vietnam for the first time, and my mom goes back to Vietnam for the first time in twenty eight years. And it's, uh, in the show, I, uh, it's like funny. So it's a combination of stand up and video that I shot of my multiple times going back to Vietnam, along with like, uh, personal photos and a uh, home video. And, um, yeah, so it, it's this very real personal exploration about this relationship with my mom and, this um introduction to this new world that i've heard about but i never really saw before which was 
what Vietnam specifically, Suk Trang, more specifically the village mm-hmm. of Long Duc, where my mom is from. Uh, and it's a funny show, but it's a, also a very, it's a, like an emotional journey. And I think that's part of the reason why, uh, the comedy is there is yeah. to help, uh, because it's so real. It kind of, the comedy kind of, uh, breaks the tension and adds a little bit of levity yeah. to get us through the show. I also, I, I do sort of feel like, um, comedy, comedic moments sort of set you up. Like from a mechanical point of view, you can sort of dangle funny at people for a while and then pull the rug out from under them in a way that they're not expecting. Yeah. I think it's like, it works both ways, right? Like, uh, when you're really present, that's when you're really discovering things. Mm -hmm. And for comedy, it usually starts out as because the structure that we sit in in the theater, it's not a very natural thing. And Mm -hmm. so if we, if I look at you and I say something that is very present, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, okay, uh, we're all here together. Okay. So now we're all here together. We've all laughed together. So the laughter has brought us together. We're all linked together. We're all connected. Now we can move together and in our movement through the story or through my movement on stage, that's where we discover things. So even throughout all the shows, something will happen where I will say something like one time in one of the videos, uh, my Vietnamese is really bad. And, uh, there was a woman who spoke Vietnamese and she was laughing really hard because, uh, in the scene, the video that she sees, it's my mom getting her citizenship. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of the questions that the immigration official asked my mom is, um, can you ask her if she has any police charges? And then I translate and my Vietnamese directly translated is, uh, uh, I asked my mom, did the police ever catch you or anything like that? (laughs) That's because I, uh, my, my grasp of Vietnamese is very limited. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's this woman, woman that was sitting at the front <coughs> and she was just dying mm-hmm. laughing. And, uh, yeah, I looked at her and I'm like, there's no way this show is going to get any funnier for her. <laughs> like, <laughs> no one has enjoyed the show as much as her. No. So, no. um, yeah. So yeah. And, and on the reverse, it's like, uh, sometimes something that's really funny, we assume that, the comedy we're going to be staying in this emotion mm-hmm. uh but that and then we are revealed something else and it's like wow that's a huge like when you see toy story yeah, like yeah. you don't think they're all going to join hands and no. you know accept death you no. know it's great. you don't yeah it's it's it's, it's, it's what's the word it's, it's it's undermining your expectations in mm-hmm. a way that uh, and of course a lot of those that's the one of the things about about those pixar stories and those those other <laughs> Disney movies. You don't know. You think oh, it's just a kids thing. It's, no, it's gonna yeah. be all light, and then it isn't. Yeah, and that's like the thing I'm realizing too. Like, even like I'm having uh, like even as a kid, I was always was very uh, sensitive, and I would mm-hmm. like play outside on the ground, and would look closely at the grass, and like really touch sand and stuff. And uh, even uh, watching kids play now, uh, like my. Uh, partners nieces and nephews mm-hmm. they are very sensitive to the world and uh i'm having a baby in uh, july yeah. and so um in those like with pixar or like especially in like the studio ghibli movies mm-hmm. it's like th- the sense of the world is um 
it's just everything is important, you yeah. know, and, and the sensitivity is so high. Um, and I, I don't know, I think it's like, there's something about when we're in the theater and it's quiet and all of a sudden you can say something and everyone's feels it and mm, they're really yeah. in tune with it. And I think when you, I don't know, it's interesting because like I, I come from a comedy background, so, um, I'm always just used to anytime someone says something, they always kind of naturally try yeah. to break the tension with a joke. Um, so I, there have been times where I've been to like very serious uh, meetings and people mm. are very serious and it's very businesslike and it's about the Q1 numbers. And uh, I'm just like, man, this, this guy needs to... This guy needs to throw in a punchline at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it, I mean, but you know, I mean, we as humans are often uncomfortable with those very serious moments. And right. So that's why we throw we'll undercut, like you know, I'll be like, yeah, the numbers are really terrible. Yeah. This quarter, <laughs> hey, somebody's going to get fired. You know, and that's supposed yeah. to be a joke, but it's like you're you're you don't want to be quite as as. Uh, <laughs> as serious about such, such bad news yeah. right? we always want to undercut it and sometimes in theater we have to sit in it in a way that's unna- yeah. like that's necessary but where it's so uncomfortable right? yeah yeah I think uh, I think yeah it's just whatever for my show um, I think I just hesita- hesitated saying my show because in a way it's not really, it's not just my show, you know, like my mom is in like 40% of the show is my mom, footage of my mom. And then there's a whole team of people adding their flavor to the show. Um, but in this show, um, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it like we're just, um the tension i think we try to make sure that every moment is truthful and honest so if it's uncomfortable then that moment is supposed to be uncomfortable but i think it's like um i don't know i think it it makes you feel a little bit more alive because um yeah when i think before i went to vietnam i didn't really know what to expect i had heard stories about it i heard there was poverty but I didn't really know what the texture was like and what the colors were like. And, um, you know, and I didn't know how much joy there was there. So, and then at the same time, it was very sad. It was very emotional. It was very overwhelming. So, um, yeah. And I think for the show, you have to feel everything because we're trying to find the answer to something and whether or not you find it at by the end of the show at least the conversation is going somewhere and at least the conversation is open and honest and i i think if it's like yeah in the if it if like the boss at like my old rogers job and he's gathering all the salespeople around and he's like man if he's like the q1 numbers are done but good news we all get to go home early at least that like it's like we're not all crazy like we're at yeah. least he understands us and yeah. i think that's what people are seeking when they look for stories like they're yeah. looking for balance and understanding and yeah what was i mean the story is about you know this trip that you took to vietnam for the first time and, and, and with your mom and the first time in 20 years what made you want to turn that into a play i think uh 
There's like a deeper reason, I think. Like a, um, let's, let's yeah, go yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah, I guess we have time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, at home, my my parents, my name is Yo. But when my dad registered me for school, my brother's name is Yung, but it's spelled D-U-O-N-G. So uh, people read it as Dong. Yes. And, you know, I, I say that uh, in my act that uh, Dong, in, Yung in Vietnamese means strong and virile. And in mm. English, it means poop, right? <laughs> yes. So it, it, for and especially uh, at that time, like a lot of uh, kids of immigrants can say this. uh Racism is kind of exponential. Like my experience, like the two years that my brother, my brother's two years older, but his experience with racism is a little bit more devastating than my mm-hmm. experience. Um, but anyways, it, it, because my dad had registered, I really believe that because my dad registered me as Franco mm-hmm. and not Yo, uh, it had a huge impact on how people treated me. Mm. So a lot of times it would be like, Oh, Franco, that's an interesting name. That's it. Mm. Or sometimes people would be like, that's an interesting name. What's your real name? And I'd be like, Oh, it's Franco, I think. Um, <laughs> but, um, but because there was all, there's always a reaction, right? Mm. It's not people bullying me when they hear my name, they're interested or they're surprised yeah. or like, so then also at home, my parents were like, const- like I had constantly arguing, like, like the police would come so it was like and plus my parents are vietnamese so i can't really talk to my mom in that way plus i'm also like her baby so Mm -hmm. i'm also treated like a baby so when i went to school it's kind of like having this completely new identity all of a sudden i'm I'm franco at school i'm weird like oh unusual oh your name so then you know because at home it's so uh tumultuous but at school it's like fun it's social um I'm like this different person. So I kind of, I remember my first big laugh was <clears throat> they were doing a safe, this is like fifth grade. Uh, and they were doing a safety uh, demonstration for bike safety. And it is uh, the, the safety instructors are like, Oh yeah. And make sure you have to, uh, you have to stop at a stop sign on when you're on your bike. And then I shouted out, I was like, even if you have training wheels and, <laughs> And then it crushed. Like people were laughing so hard, and I was like, "Man, this is this is it." <laughs> so and from then on, you're like, "I need this." I need that. I need. I'm chasing this dragon now. Um, and so, uh, but I think it's also that, like, even at that time, I knew I was different uh, because people were saying, "Oh, you don't." look like a franco Mm. so and then i also knew that my parents were very sad all the time and they were always worried about money and there were my mom was always worried about people back home in vietnam um so eventually i went to like even when i was graduating uh high school we had to choose our courses i was like oh i wanted to kind of go to theater school and be an actor but i was like oh that's you know that's an immigrant parent's nightmare i should be doing something practical and then uh i was like oh i'm gonna go to film school slightly (laughs) more practical yeah less crazy but still kind of crazy so when i went to film school i was making very serious uh films but i was digging really deep and i was uh looking for the truth of how i felt about uh my feelings 
and of the world or my world that I knew. And uh, th I think and naturally, uh, after film school, I started doing stand-up and naturally I just talk about my upbringing. And then uh, I went to Vietnam and then I had an opportunity to put on a show uh, because I entered the Fringe Lottery and I was like, oh God, I have to do a show now. When and you entered the Fringe Lottery, were you like, if I'll worry about that when, when, when I cross? Like, what made you want to join the, the, like, enter the Fringe Lottery? Well, when I did stand, I started stand up and then I was in film school. Uh, I was in doing my master's in film. Uh, I had already graduated. So I, when I was doing it, when I was doing stand up, I was always thinking, like, oh, I could maybe use some of this footage maybe one day. So, uh, yeah, once I got the into the Fringe uh, Festival, uh, I was definitely thinking, oh, God, I have to do the show. But a part of me was like, oh, I, I had this idea of a show in my head a little bit. Yeah. And um, I still felt like, oh, God, I have to do a show. But I was <laughs> like, oh, this is destiny. I'm right. supposed to do it. I'll, I should be doing it. I wouldn't have gotten it if I wasn't supposed to be. Uh, and, yeah, that was my thought process. Mm. And so, how did the show evolve? Like, a lot of people, when they, what was the process of creating the show? Like, here you are, you've got this slot in the fringe. Did you just sort of like, did you create a script by talking? Did you write it? Did you, like, how did you, how did you do it? The main thing was, um, I, because I was in, at York, I was trying to make a documentary about going back to Vietnam. Mm. But what had happened, I noticed, was when I would show people the footage, which is very intense. It's like footage of like my mom interacting with my grandmother, who is very sick. Mm. Uh, or like there's footage of uh, my mom seeing my grandmother for the first time. And it's very intense and there's so much crying. As you can imagine, like not seeing yeah. someone for 28 years and it's your own mother and she doesn't remember who you are. Um <clears throat> But when I would show the footage to people, <clears throat> I don't think generally people weren't really connected to it. It was like when I would tell them about the project, be like, wow, that's really profound. Yeah. Um, but then if I didn't have any spiel before it, people would watch the footage and really just not connect to it. Um, and so the process for the show was, well, I have all this footage. And it really means a lot to me. And it's very hard for me to watch right now. Mm. But why is it hard for me to watch? But very, it, and for other people, it's just, people are very indifferent in their reactions to it. Um, and also I had like all these jokes I started writing that were like, oh, I think these are really funny. But because I started stand up at the same time when I went to Vietnam for the first time, a lot of my jokes were about going to Vietnam. So then I was like, okay, well, now I have these jokes that are funny. And I have this footage that's funny. And I was like, oh, maybe, I, oh, I just have to like contextualize it. And just even simply saying like, uh, okay, well, why? Okay. In this footage, you know, it's, uh, my mom getting a citizenship thing and she's smiling. Okay. Well, why is, who cares? Right. Yeah. To the average person. Well, it's important because, uh, this was, you know, two, 2009 and she's getting her citizenship to go to, uh, Vietnam. Okay, well, anyone can get their citizenship. Yeah, but my mom's different because she didn't really speak English, so she's kind of worked really hard to get it. Yeah, but a lot of people... Okay, well, my mom also... My parents were fighting a lot, and my dad was kind of abusive. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, yeah, but a lot of people's dads... Okay, well, the thing is also, on top of that, she had left Suk Trang, Vietnam, uh, 
to come to Canada. Well, a lot of there's yeah. still a lot, and so now it becomes like a crazy story. And then just putting it in order and my relationship with it. And at the time, the story also starts with, you know, I live with my mom, you know, and uh, so it's like I I also feel like I want to be protective of my mom. She babies me, but I also feel like I want to protect her. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's like there's a funny dynamic there, but also very frustrating. And so we explore that in the show as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how how was it doing a show? I mean, in the Toronto Fringe, I don't know how much your parents knew about the Fringe at the time. Mm-hmm. And you, of course, had no idea that it would become a success at the Fringe. You just yeah. You were doing it. Um, how did your mother feel about being so featured in this show at the time? It's funny because um, this is kind of, indicative of how she perceives me still because a lot of the show was like i was very excited as excited but extremely nervous for her to see it because Mm -hmm. i was like man she's in it a lot uh uh, there's moments where she's very vulnerable like Mm -hmm. there's moments where she's crying in the footage i hope she doesn't feel embarrassed or anything like that um and uh she's watching the show and she comes to the show and she's so loud talking throughout the whole show she's like a she doesn't really she does i could imagine this is probably her only theater show that she's yes, been to yeah. but i my brother sat next to her i was like oh for the english parts kind of whisper and translate for her and my mom i could just hear my mom in the left just like talking throughout the show and then just like she'd be saying stuff like oh he's moving to the left now like i'm just like uh, i'm a grown-up so and then there's like a big uh, monologue in the show that's very uh, intense and um and like emotional but like my mom was laughing because i I just don't know why i don't know why i think she just thought it was like cute that she's like oh he's he's it's like a dog trying to act you know like (laughs) while wearing a hat like oh he's doing big boy stuff (laughs) and so it was um i she was i think she's always been someone you know like uh because I'm the first person in my lineage to ever go to a post-secondary school. Okay. Like I'm the, everyone else on her side, like we come, it's from Sukhtrang, this like uh, farm area, mm-hmm. rural area. And so for her, her dream for me was to just work indoors in an office, you know? Cause that's the idea of like, Oh sure. man, you've made it. If you don't have to carry sugar cane across a field or like work in a factory like me, um, so I think for her to see me do something and see other people come to the show, you know, it kind of helped her a little bit because I think before that she was definitely worrying a lot. Sure. But I think it's also like, I think she, she hears other things about other people in Viet communities that mm-hmm. like are in, uh, like sometimes people join gangs and whatnot. Uh, and I think she was always worried that I would fall into that, like very worried. Whereas like, especially like sometimes I, I would do so many uh, sets, you know, you, comedy happens at night. So I'd be yeah. doing open mics and she'd be like, where were you? Oh, I'm so worried. And I'm like, uh, I, I was just working on this bit about centaurs. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I know you've been doing heroin. I'm like, no, I'm just bombing. Just bombing all over the city. It's worse. Mom. Yeah, it's worse. Comedy. Yeah, yeah this is a, it's a different type of drug. I wish I was doing heroin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
So, I mean, you sort of mentioned that at one point you were thinking about going into theater school yeah. when you were finishing high school. What were you, were you doing theater, any theater before that? Like, what was it that made you consider theater school at the end of high school? I I was I always had so much fun in uh, drama class, mm-hmm. and uh, I was in the high school play, uh, and we had our own little improv club, uh, which is like I've been studying improv comedy since, and the improv that we did was very much wild, wild west style yeah. of improv, pure blocking all the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think the thing that, uh, so I was really into theater, I was really into acting, but I think, uh, a part of it too was like, I was like, I didn't have the self-esteem. I didn't mm-hmm. think it was a possibility for me. Um, so yeah, was, I was like, oh, I could probably work in the background of something. Like I could figure out how to operate something. I could edit something, but I didn't think I could, uh, yeah, I, I, Really did feel like if I auditioned, they I would not get anything. And so instead, you just didn't you went to theater. You went to film school. I went to film yeah. school, and I yeah, I didn't. I think I had I nervously had an audition for Ryerson, and I just never showed up. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna do it. So, and then even before that, I was I wanted to do stand up, and I went to Spirits Open Mic, uh, Joanne Downey's room, and it was like such a hot room and you would have to email ahead of time and then you would show up and if you liked the show and she liked you uh she would book you like a few months later so i go to the show and everyone's just so good and i'm yeah. like i could never do this and then uh i just didn't do it but like i would secretly write <laughs> i would secretly write in this binder and i would write so many jokes in this big thick white binder and one time my friend julian was like oh man let me hear one of your jokes, read from the book. And I was like, nah, man, it's not ready. He's like, man, you're the funniest person I know. L- let me hear it. I'm like, all right. And I read like my best joke in the binder. And he's like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to spirits. No. With that, with that kind of self-esteem and that thing, like what, how did you eventually overcome that to actually start doing stand-up and comedy? Um, I think, oh, well, the reason why I did it was because I was at um, Starving Artist at Lansdowne and Bloor, and there was an open mic there, and I, I it said, uh, email if you want to do it. And I emailed the thing. Oh, and before that, um, I was finding actors for uh, a short film of mine, and I went on Mandy.com, and when I was on there, I saw an audition post for this sketch troupe called Asian Exploitation, which is where I met... Uh, Daryl and Byron, who are part of Soaring Skies Collective. Mm-hmm. Byron is the director of this run of the show, and Daryl is the dramaturge. Excuse me. We'll edit that out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, I see. Uh, no, we're going to keep it real. Uh, so, yeah, and then I auditioned for that troupe just on a whim. And then I, we were a troupe for like, I was in that troupe for, I think, like six years. Mm. And uh, then. Yeah, my friend. Yeah, Daryl has always been super sweet and super supportive, and you know, always I'd always be like, "Man, I kind of wanted to come." He's like, "Man, you you gotta do it, man. Like, you already have a voice. You just just go out there and do it." And then I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and then he came to my first uh, open mic. So he's, uh, I think that's, yeah. I'm only even realizing this now, uh, but he was a huge, very supportive voice, and I think I, I re- now I'm only realizing this now, but I might have. Maybe I would have eventually done stand up, but I think 
it would have uh, happened a lot later if Daryl didn't encourage me. What was it like that first time? How man, that's, do you remember any of it? I yeah, I do. I came. I went there. Uh, it was a small room. Uh, I had a little paper on me. Natasha Henderson was hosting, and I had like point forms of my jokes, mm-hmm. and I would f- deliver my jokes very Stephen Wright style, monotone. And I don't know if any of the jokes hit. And I think I had my last joke was like, I think my bed is like a time machine because when I fall asleep, I wake up in the future. And, uh, and I'm like, <laughs> at the time, I was like, this is gold. And uh, it just was nonsensical. But I think people liked how I looked and thought yeah. there was something um, charming about some. And also, there's always a charm of someone doing something for the first time. Sure, Everyone's yeah. just like, I want to see what happens. Um, so that's how it was. It was so fun. And it was such a high because it was something I wanted to do. Mm. It's like, imagine that feeling you get when you submit your taxes or your last essay in school and times that by a thousand. Like, yeah. it, it was so good. And so I, even though yeah. you don't really know if the audience, like, you can't remember if the audience was laughing or anything? Or? I, I, what happens is, like, you listen back to your sets, mm-hmm. right, from years ago. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I thought I crushed. Like, at the time, I thought people were, like, amazed everyone wanted to sign me or something. But I think the reality was it was just very quiet. <laughs> and just the adrenaline was just bringing me so much joy. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Huh. And, and you kept at it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think. And it's like, you know, stand-up is like anything. The thing is, with stand-up, people see you fail on the job so like no like when you watch a film it's it's already done like you don't watch the rough cut of the film you don't watch the assembly cut you don't watch if you saw movies before they were mixed you'd be like Mm -hmm. man this is unshowable but once they throw in all those elements on top of it then it's like wow this is this is even the bad ones are like really pretty decent compared to the rough cuts and some even the great like you know, imagine the Avengers without the special effects. You're like, yeah. good God. Like, what is this? It's just green screen. Yeah. Um, so with stand-up, it's like, yeah, sometimes you look like the Avengers and sometimes you look like a green screen. Yeah. <laughs> you know? In a way, theater's like that too, though. Yeah. Right? Because um, even you can rehearse as much. You can rehearse all the time in the world and you're going to have off days, you're going to have good days. And, yeah. And... You know, sometimes we'll blame it on the audience. It's never mm-hmm. really their fault. Yeah. And you know, when you have a bad day and you're just on autopilot, it shows, you know? Yeah. I think that's because uh, I also was at Second City uh, on the touring. I did the education company and I was on the touring company most mm-hmm. recently. And um, yeah, you definitely, when you do, when you've done the material that's. Uh, uh, rehearsed and you know the lines then it, it, the audience can sense when you're not present or when you're present and it, i think it's that thing where the liveness the danger of it is really uh exciting for people it's so uh primal and unconscious like in improv this i always say this it's like this bit always kills where there's two performers on stage and um at some point uh you'll probably see this like one every 70 improv shows at some point the 
a server will drop a glass or a patron will drop yeah. a glass and they'll make a shattering noise. And then there's a moment in the room where everyone's like, oh no, it interrupted the show. What's happened? What, what do we do now? Do we look at here? Like people are very jarred. Yeah. And then the improviser will pretend, let's say they're holding a glass and they'll just go, whoa. And then they pretend they drop the glass that yeah. actually just dropped. So that, and people are like, oh my gosh, yeah. they know what's going on. We're yeah. so safe right now. Yeah. They, they, they're smart. They're geniuses. Uh, but I think a lot of like comedy sometimes is, especially when you get bigger, bigger crowds, mm-hmm. it's just um, having the courage and bravery to say what is happening. Yeah. And that's why we see, you know, there's, comedians that are very some problematic mm-hmm. but uh for a lot of people it's like wow this is this person is has the guts to just say what their mm-hmm. uh their impulses are yeah. they can articulate their impulses um and so yeah so people are very drawn to like that danger yeah you know uh one of the one of the i mean when you're if you're doing a a, a theater show and you have a cast of people with you um, if you're not having your best night, you, the the rest of your cast can sort of pick you up and sort of like help you get back on track. When you're doing a solo show, um, if you're having an off night, it can be very difficult to do that to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you find that the, the work that you did in in, in stand up that there are things that you can rely on? to to help you come back to the moment yeah um definitely i think it's with stand-up you have to be present a lot of the times and it's like you're just aware of the audience <clears throat> like if yeah i've had shows where there's hecklers and you have to disarm yeah. and uh like one time i was in kitchener and even before the show uh the manager said to the host okay, this person has drank a lot. You might want to watch out for them. And in my mind, I was like, why don't you just ask them to leave <laughs> now? Yeah, well, like, yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, of course, like, I go, I think I went on, uh, third. And by that time, that, this person is way more belligerent. Um, and I, I think I was just, uh, I was like, I don't remember what I said, but I, I said at some point, the audience was in shock. Because I said something along the lines of like, uh, she, something like, "Oh, I wish you weren't here either." But it sounded like I, I hope she was dead or something, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, <gasps> and then like, because I knew that the audience was shocked, and I knew that this was the context of comedy show, and mm-hmm. I knew that, you know, she's the one that's in the wrong here. Then I just had to double down and mm-hmm. just really be brave in that moment and just be really crass. And I was like, "No, actually, what I mean is." I don't want her to be alive. And then that just won the crowd <laughs> over because they're like, wow, like he's not polite. He'll be honest with us. Yeah. Um, and then eventually they uh, kicked that person out, which was like, great. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but uh, with the theater show and what, what happens with stand up is like, you really appreciate the audience because you mm-hmm. like, especially when you, the comedians that work really hard, they do so many bad shows, yeah. especially in Toronto, because it's not like every show is floated with audiences. You do a lot of bad mics where there are like eight or nine people. Yeah. And then a lot of the mics, open mics specifically, uh, they're in front of other comedians. 
that are waiting to, for their turn. Right. Not in like a rude way, but that's just the way yeah. all comedians are. They're yeah. constantly thinking about their act. So you have to perform in front of people with their arms crossed or, you know, you're performing in front of someone that's like writing their joke and figuring out their set list. And then you're doing your set. And then if you get a laugh from someone who's, who just picks up their pencil for a second and goes, ha 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 ha. You're like, okay, I could use that. <laughs> um, so when you come from, doing that type of performance uh and then i go to a show a theater show and um everyone you know there's not the leafs game i'm not performing with the leafs game yeah. behind me um i'm performing in a place where the lighting is changing they're not ambushed with a show mm-hmm. and people have paid to see the show and on top of that um anytime i kind of am struggling with this show specifically um the there's video too mm. and the video is it's it's so real it's such a yeah. visceral experience watching it um so just i i yeah i mean the challenge is like staying alive and performing with commitment and intention with every line yeah. but um if i can hit all the lines then i feel like and especially because the show is it's just stuff that has happened to me yeah. it's really difficult as long as I'm just being open mm-hmm. that it will come out honestly, that's my hope. Um, but of course, like there's definitely been shows where I've been nervous and I was like really in my head about like hitting the lines and hitting yeah. my marks. Um, but even in those shows, there's moments where, um, you know, I, I open up and I discover something yeah. and, um, and I think this even when you, I want it, I want the show at a point where even if you were to read it and watch the video, you would take so much from it. Mm-hmm. And that like my performance is an addition to all that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of the things like as a, I, as a solo performer, that's done a couple of, a couple of, a few performances of my own show. Yeah. Um, of course the first time you're always like first couple of times you're like, so like right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to find that I think, of course, we all have the performance where we don't, you know, we sort of go on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And I really learned that I had to connect with the audience right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't something that I'd ever really considered when we started, when I started creating the show that I would be that, you know, you have to connect with the audience as though you're they're your scene partner. Um, and if I can't, you know, if I, I'll have to make eye contact with a few people. And if I can't do that or I don't do that, then I felt like the show suffered. Did you find connecting with the audience or for you, is it, is it, uh, is it very much the, no, you in the video? I, I definitely need to like, for me, like, I feel like if you're getting laughs and that mm-hmm. you've, that's like the receipt of connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I, I don't even, you could call it insecurity too, to get that type of laughter. Cause um, when you do stand up, you have to think of like, well, you, you try to get momentum in your act. So the classic thing is the classic joke is like, uh, I know what you're all thinking. I look like X had sex with Y, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, what do I look like? Oh, uh, I look like, an, you know, a hipster Jackie Chan or whatever racist thing that people are saying. Um, so I think especially before i mean i think now it's a little bit different where you don't have to comment like that and especially in certain rooms but uh even in like 
2012, you would have to think, well, what is people's first instincts? Mm-hmm. What is f- people's first impulse? Because you want to connect with everyone, even yeah. those that um, aren't accustomed to seeing someone that looks like you yeah. performing. Mm-hmm. Um, so even with my show, uh, I, 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 because I've done a bunch of stand up, even when, you know, a host would introduce me and they would be like, uh, and they'd be like, Franco, oh, Nguyen, 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 it's Nguyen. I don't, uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh it's Franco. <laughs> and then I would have to be like, uh, man, thanks, man. He nailed it this time or something, you know, improvising sure, yeah. something because I'm realizing that there's, uh, something that it's like a picture that's not aligned, you know, this yeah. guy just shook up the room and I have to like feng shui it for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I definitely want to connect with the audience and, you know, this show, I'm talking to people mm. and I'm telling them the story. So anytime there's a certain reaction or there's a big laugh in a part that usually doesn't get a laugh, I have the freedom to say it. And if I have the impulse, to say it, then I'm going to follow that impulse. And if I'm following it, that means I'm re- reacting to someone that's saying something. And because I'm reacting to them, then that means I'm connecting with them. Mm. And if the audience is laughing, then they also realize that I'm seeing something that they see. Yes. Yeah. 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 So how did the show come to cahoots? Uh, well, I've mean, uh, I know Byron and Daryl and we're extremely close friends. Uh, and they've had a relationship with Cahoots. And I've always known Marjorie around. I've seen her around. She, she, she's come to some of the Asian exploitation shows back in the day too. And, um, Marjorie, I think she came to our fringe show just to be supportive. And, uh, a bunch of people from Cahoots came and I've, the theater community is very supportive and they came because of Byron and, and Daryl, and I think maybe because of me. Um, uh, and um, then they <clears throat> wanted to work with us early on, and then we developed the show a little bit more at Next Stage, and they were like, we want it to be, very early on, before I even went to Next Stage, they were like, we want it to be a part of either this season or one of our future seasons because we love the show so much. And that's essentially, I mean, that's essentially it. They we've always known each other and they came to the show and they loved the show and the show was doing well. And, uh, now we have a chance to do the official world premiere yeah. with like a big, uh, it's not going to be a uh, <laughs> Michael Bay explosions, but it's going to be a lot more than having to strike yeah. five minutes before. So you did it at the, yeah. at the Toronto Fringe and then Next Stage. Mm-hmm. How, how much time was between the uh, uh, Fringe and Next Stage? Um, it was about, it was the summer of, that summer of the Fringe and then it would be the fall. So okay, it was so like it was July. Like same, it's like right yeah, okay. after. Yeah. Yeah. Were you carrying momentum from Fringe into like, was, did you find that a lot of people who didn't get to see the Fringe were coming to Next Stage or do you think it was a whole new audience? It felt like a new audience. Yeah. It felt like a different audience because um, I mean, even in our fringe run, it was like, you know, it was at the theater past Mariah, so it was a smaller space, mm-hmm. so not a lot. Um, but it was also downtown. It was a summer audience. Even, I don't know if it's a, even an audience member going from summer to winter. I feel like it's a different person. You, you, you know? You're not wrong. Yeah. You're usually, there's a lot more layers involved in, a, in winter theater. Yeah. 
and it seems like it's harder for people to come out. Whereas, oh, sure, yeah. because in the summer, you probably already have you went, you know, you don't mind walking yeah, home. Yeah, there's AC. Yeah, and in the winter, you're, like, you go from home, from work to home, and you're just, like, burrowing under whatever covers yeah. to keep warm and, and, and cozy, right? Yeah, so it felt like, it definitely mm. felt like a new audience. Um, yeah, and I think what I like is that, like, uh, so many people have connected with the show. Mm. Um you know, you don't necessarily have to be Vietnamese to really understand this feeling of um, miscommunication mm-hmm. with your parents or a sense of loneliness and alienation. Um, I, I think a lot of people, I think that's the benefit of doing this one person show. Uh, and that's what was missing in the process of editing the documentary, which was like this personal touch because I think that's what it was before. It was like, oh, I'm watching a woman cry versus I'm watching mm. my friend Franco's mom cry or I'm watching myself yeah. or I see my, my, that woman is my mother and I see myself in Franco yeah. or I see myself in Franco's mother and I mm. see Franco as my son or, you know, there's more of a connection. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, you don't necessarily need to be Vietnamese and living with your mom <laughs> to Wait, connect. I'm interested in that. Um, the, the alienation, the, the sort of the loneliness that you were mm-hmm. you were feeling. Did, did your brother speak Vietnamese? Were you the one no. child that didn't, or did you both we have both, difficulty communicating? We both had difficulty communicating, mm-hmm. and I think, um, yeah, we both had difficulty communicating. So even, that's the other thing, too, where it's like, that was the beautiful aspect about the show, was um, a lot of my friends who I grew up with, we never talk about our parents, you know? Mm. And I think it's always because people, especially my friends who have uh, immigrant parents, really feel like their parents have done a lot. Yeah. And they feel like they their parents, because that, they, they owe something to their parents and they haven't lived up to it. And in some cases, it's like there's a lot of pressure and they couldn't live up to it. Uh, and so I think a lot of times we don't talk about it. One, because it's like, you know, there's other aspects like, oh, let's just watch the basketball game, man. And the other thing is like, man, if I start talking about how I feel about my parents, I might just start crying. And it's like, I'm just trying to sure. watch the playoffs. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. My in, So me and my, bro- my brother didn't speak Vietnamese that well either. And so even my brother actually never went to Vietnam. Okay. So when he came to the show, it was like, oh, okay. Because he moved out and I was still living with my mom. So when he came to the show, he's like, he, it was kind of really emotional because, like, even after the first show, it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that's what Vietnam was like. I mm. also, you know, there's a point in the show where I discover, like, I had a grandfather and I never even talk about my grandfather. And my brother's like, oh my gosh, I, like, all the things I'm experiencing in Vietnam, he hasn't even experienced. Right. right? Yeah. So, you know, after the show, we leave and then you know there's a huge crowd and i see my brother like we i don't usually even hug my brother but like you know we hug each other it was very emotional i was like Mm -hmm. getting choked up um and we started to um you know talking more and we hang out more he just had a baby so but before that we you know we didn't speak to our parents that well in vietnamese but we also didn't really talk to each other as much and we both speak English. Yeah, there was, was there a point a where difference in age between the two of you. No, that's the weird thing. Mm. We we're both. Two, uh, he was only two years old, older than. Mm. Mm. So 
and yeah and i feel like that's the other thing about the show is like i felt like i was like articulating a lot of feelings that people who i grew up with didn't have the ability to articulate um or maybe they didn't have the opportunity um and i felt like i was you know it is a very privileged position to you know as spider-man says great power comes great responsibility and i had like an opportunity to you know be honest and say things that i felt like Mm. a lot of people you know uh, were like a lot of sadness a lot of people that i know are carrying and it's like when you say these things out loud a lot of the the stress and the sadness uh and the weight uh of uh of carrying a secret is the fact that it's a secret is that you don't have anyone to talk to you feel like that's where the loneliness comes but if you're like oh actually i'm gonna share this crazy thought with the world and then people are like i'm crazy too and it's like oh my gosh we're all crazy wait if we're all crazy then that's the normal so we're all normal um and so it was really nice to have uh people i grew up with from like high school and uh elementary to be like man like I didn't know, like, my friend Lang was like, I didn't know anything about you. <laughs> like, I didn't even, I've never even been to your house. Mm-hmm. And we've known each other since, like, seventh grade, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, that was, it was cool. Yeah. And it was nice. And even artistically, going from stand-up where um, you feel the need to get a laugh every, like, yeah. few seconds or so. Um to do this show and have huge pockets like in stand-up you have your laugh breaks and you have your applause breaks and that's like man i just got seven applause breaks man i crushed that but in this show because it's so honest there's a moment there was a moment that i found where people would get really sad and i would hear like sniffles and it was like oh it was a cry break pretty sweet Um, (laughs) but it, it is cool because it makes you realize that I think part of stand-up too is like there's an insecurity about not for all stands, but for yeah. me personally, it's that I I need to get a laugh so I know that I'm connecting so that I'm not being too vulnerable. But I think with a one-person show and with theater, when people aren't forced to buy beer, yeah. uh, it changes the atmosphere where people are like, "No, I want to." You're al- you're allowed to go as vulnerable as you want yeah. because people are there to connect with every single emotion. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you go to a comedy club, you have to, yeah, having two beers, uh, people might not want to experience that emotion when they're yeah. out on a Friday night drinking two beers. But they're when just you're trying to have them, a good time. Yeah, but in the theater show, it's like a different type of good it time. Is, it's yeah. very different. Yeah. Um, was it that was the the laugh the like having to have a laugh every so often was that a was that a difficult uh uh impulse to break with this show uh yeah i think it was definitely because i was very insecure about mm-hmm. like i said before it's like if uh, the laughter is kind of like a receipt for connecting and i was like oh if people aren't laughing maybe they're not connecting mm. And uh, I was very worried about being self-indulgent. Um, mm. But I think that's the benefit of having a team of people that you trust yeah. and that you really admire. Uh, so Byron and Daryl definitely helped pull out. And, and because they're such great actors and they have a great theater experience that I didn't have, 
um, they were able to be like, no, this is, if this is what you're feeling here, then you have to be truthful to this. Oh, sorry. Feeling here, then you have to be truthful to what you're feeling. And you don't need to put in a punchline here. And I'm like, okay, I'll trust you. And then it it works and then you feel it. So, yeah. It's interesting because the, 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 the theater audience lets you know that they are not engaged in some very different ways than a comedy audience, I would imagine. Yeah. Because, you know, you're with a, with a comedy audience, they're not laughing, they're not engaged, and maybe they'll start talking to each mm-hmm. other or whatever. But a theater audience, it's it's when they start moving. Oh, interesting. I've never like, noticed that. Yeah. For me, it's like if I, if I notice that there's a lot of people who are, like, yeah. shifting in their seat or whatever, it's like, oh, oh, we're losing them. Mm. You can sort of see... As soon as people start like looking in other places, like if you can watch the audience and you sort of see a lot of movement, you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta pull these people in oh, somehow. Oh man, yeah. I'm gonna be watching over there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I've spent a lot. I used to work at, at, as an usher in a theater, and so I watched audiences a lot. Oh, <laughs> you learn a lot about an audience. Yeah, yeah. it's like that thing when uh, my friend was telling me, like some film editors, so or filmmakers, they'll put. When they show their rough cut, they'll put food in the middle. So, like, the moment when people reach for the food to eat, it's when they're really bored. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a good good trick. Yeah. It's it's, it's those litmus tests. It's like, how do you find out, like, when people are... Because people won't always tell you. No. Yeah, that's the thing. That they're drifting, right? You have to know... You have to know what they're how to see what they're actually thinking yeah i i'm very insecure about that like i i yeah i still i always feel like oh was that good was that good and then i really definitely over examine what people say mm. and what their compliments are or yeah because if someone's like rushing out i'm like okay they didn't like the show they're like okay i'll see it later mm. but or if someone's like oh that was i liked it I'm are, like, you, are oh. you judging like like are they enthusiastic enough or are you trying to like find what's the subtext of i liked it i think you know it's always paired with how you feel about the show sure, you know because yeah. you i think i feel pretty honest with myself but i do feel like i don't know if at times i'm too hard on myself or if i'm basking in the feeling of mm-hmm. something undeserved I think that's my bigger fear. So I always like feel like I always when someone's saying something, whatever the compliment is, I'm like, ah, okay, interest. Oh, you thought it was interesting. Hmm, that's interesting. I don't know. (laughs) It is. It is. It is. It is funny how how we can do that to ourselves. Yeah. Because we're we're actually terrible judges of our own performance. Yeah. You know the audience. You know, there are so many things that an audience will do that tells you how they felt about it. But we get caught up in our own, like, how do I feel about this? Oh, this moment wasn't as good as, like, last night or whatever. And we get mm-hmm. into our heads about that. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes the audience is being completely honest with us about how much they love it. And we can't yeah. let our own thing go. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I still don't. I mean, there's times where I feel like when it's very obvious where I'm like, man, that was a great that was a good one. And then everyone was like, yeah, that was so great. And everyone's walking up to you. Yeah. But then there's, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Then there's other times when, I don't know, I guess it's like you, you do get used to the material. So you have to remember that your sense of discovery and surprise is different than someone else's. That is a very know. important, important thing to remember. 
because yeah. you know you discovered it once and it was like so amazing. Yeah. And after the same thing for so long, you start to want to futz with it. Yeah. When really, mm-hmm. you have to remember that the audience they're experiencing it for the first time, like you did once. Yeah. 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 It's and especially you don't want to get into like oh I'm gonna. Oh, I already know this, so I'm going to add this other thing to make it interesting for me. Right. But it'd be so confusing exactly. for them. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe it's for you and your stage manager, but that's not. Yeah. That's not the audience. Yeah. yeah. Um. You since you've done this, you did this at Fringe. You did this at at at, at Next Stage, and now you're coming back to it for this this sort of larger scale performance. Yeah. And when I came in here, there were a lot of people. For a second, I was yeah. like, "Well, this was a one person show." Yeah. You know. <laughs> But that's like your team. Yeah. And what is the, like, how is, what does rehearsal look like for this show now? Yeah. Uh, well, it's like a newer show, right? So it's not the same show uh, because the last show, two shows where you have to strike in 15 minutes. Uh, and especially coming back to this show, uh, you know, and it's less coming back, but like um, just showing it to the world. Mm. Uh, it's because it does feel like a new premiere of it. Um, I did rewrite a bunch of parts mm. and tweak a bunch of parts and add some stuff. And the beginning and ending chunks are like there's chunks of the, the beginning and ending are different. And there's chunks of the show that are different. Mm. And there's video that wasn't there before. Okay. Um, so it is a new show. Um, so the rehearsal process for this is uh, a little bit more we have a little bit more time mm-hmm. um so uh but because certain like the parts that i do know a little bit that were in the previous shows you you can be a little bit more precise with the rehearsal um and uh, because it's uh, a little bit more there's more pieces to it uh you just have to be a little bit more on point like in the fringe debut that i had the script on the stage <laughs> like it was taped to the wall and i was like uh all right going to vietnam part all right and i was just like sometimes i would be freestyling <laughs> like okay here's an idea um and i think that version was just like okay move to the left move to the right um whereas uh this version we have an idea there's more to it we know what we're trying to say with it um, so it's a more thought out, um, explored, uh, yeah, it's a, an emotional show. And I think, um, the, what we're trying to communicate is a little bit, is much clearer. So, uh, yeah. It, I, so because of all that, it is a new show. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Franco, thank you so much. For yeah. Thanks awesome. so much. It's so fun. This has been a Homebody Productions production.